Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca Frady, your host. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have a relative and a relative of last week's episode. You are Dr. Dini's father, Dr. Doctor, sorry, Rabbi <laughs> Danielle Wasserman, originally rabbi in Pittsburgh, now rabbi in Israel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We'd like to hear a little bit about you from you. Okay. Well, first of all, it is a tremendous privilege uh, to be on the Francisca Show and the Jewish Coffee House Network. The guests here, it's an A-list of guests, although after last week's guest, that, that doctor from Ashdod, it's an A-plus list. So I, I hope I don't bring the the rating down or the average down. But so as you said, I, I made Aliyah about 15 months ago. Prior to that, I served for 27 years as the rabbi of Shari Torah Congregation in Pittsburgh. I was involved in lots of different elements of the community, including founding the which uh, basically led to taking the Pennsylvania Funeral Board to federal court to guarantee any religious or nonprofit burial society the opportunity to uh, deal with the deceased in the manner befitting without involving any professional funeral directors or commercial funeral directors. Before that, I, I was a rabbi for three years in Worcester, Massachusetts. Before that, my first position was in Jersey City, New Jersey. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, grew up in Passaic, New Jersey, when I, as I like to say, when it was a nice, quiet little town. My father's Ronald Abrocha was rabbi of Young Israel Passaic. I spent many years as a student starting in high school and then Smedrish and Smith and Rabbi Weinzi, Shiva and Munsi. And last night I had the great pleasure and merit of playing hockey for two hours in Yerushalayim Gansak. Okay, nice. And thank you for all your service and hard work that you've been doing both outside of Israel and now in Israel. And it's an honor to be related to you. So thanks for that. And yesterday on the family WhatsApp chat, the extended family WhatsApp chat, we were discussing the the hostage situation and you were sharing links and you had what to say that the Torah has what to say and their ethical issues and their Torah halachic issues. And I'm like, you know what? Cousin Rabbi Wasserman, come on to the podcast and let's talk about all the things that are happening. Obviously, we don't know what's happening in Netanyahu's office, but let's talk about because everyone feels torn inside and so let's break it down. Before we even start, let me just make sure everybody understands. I'm not an expert. I'm not a military expert. I'm not a security expert. I may make reference to some medical issues. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a Pisic. So let's just be clear on that. As I mentioned when we were discussing it on the extended family chat, I, like everybody else, are greatly conflicted. And as uh, news reports come out now as we stand, it's 5 p.m. Tuesday night in Israel. It seems a fait accompli that there is some sort of ceasefire. Uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Thank you. That there is a a ceasefire agreement in place for 10 a.m. tomorrow, which certainly means that 
from 10 a.m. to 10.05 a.m., there will be a barrage of Hamas missiles directed at Ashdod and many other places in Israel, and that somehow it's going to extend uh, for a few days, and every day they will release some some captives, some hostages, and we will release some prisoners at a, at a ratio of one to three. And so it's a reality. And, and as I said, I, like everybody else, are greatly conflicted. Just a few minutes ago, I, I walked into shul, and as I'm reading reports and hearing about it, I'm getting more and more angry that, that this deal is being done. And then somebody in shul made a powerful argument the other way, and I thought, okay, maybe he's right. And then on the way home from Shul, walking home from Shul, I, I started thinking about the interview that I, I posted that interview also. It was in Hebrew, so some of the family couldn't really understand it, but of a father of one of, <laughs> excuse me, one of the girls that was killed, that was murdered and butchered on Simchas Torah. And he made a very compelling argument that this massacre was directly a result of the Gilad Shalit prisoner swap. And so we shouldn't be doing it. And we have to change the, uh, we have to change the calculus. And, and uh, another interview with another sister of one of the hostages who said the same thing. But then I read family members of the hostages and they made a very compelling argument also. There's, it is an impossible question with no good answers. So, the question is, how do you approach the issue? You know, when you, uh, when you read a science text, I, my, my degree in college was in biology, so I've spent time teaching biology and chemistry in high school. So on every textbook, it says either biology or chemistry, certainly with the biology textbooks, it says biology, and then under it, there's a qualifier, an evolutionary approach, this approach, a social approach. You, know, you have to have a way to approach questions. And one of the ways, and I believe the proper way to any questions, is halachically. Halacha, uh, Rabbi Wein told us over and over again, the essence of halacha is the resolution of opposing values. And, you know, one could argue <clears throat> that uh, all of human creativity comes from the opposing forces that we have to deal with, whether it's the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, good and bad, yin and yang, however you want to put it. There are forces that pull us in different directions. And if you remember your high school physics, so you have a vector in one way and from the same point you have a vector in another way. So you resolve those two vectors to figure out the force that's going to work on that point. I, I really believe that that, that is the source of all human growth and all human creativity. I'm sure everybody's familiar, familiar with Rabbi Tversky's crab story. And if not, go Google Rabbi Tversky and the crab. And basically he says that, that in our world, we think that being uncomfortable is no good. So the doctor gives you a Valium. No, the sign for the crab to grow is pain, is being uncomfortable. So ultimately it's the source of all human creativity. However, there are so many different forces that, that approach us that we sometimes have difficulty distinguishing. And some people, they just shut down. And that's not acceptable. It's just not an option. Uh, when I teach Kahelas, I would argue that the whole point of Kahelas is to show the, the, the so many different forces that act upon us and the struggle to figure out which way should I go. And in the end, he speaks to being 
paralyzed by that and says, even if you don't have an answer, in the end, we heard it all and you don't know which way to go. So I said, tomorrow morning, you have something you need to do. You may not be paralyzed. You cannot stay in bed. You have, you have mitzvahs to do. You got to get up. You got to go to Davini. You got to do tzedakah. You got to do chesed. You got to make a living. Go do it. Because ultimately our situation here in this world is that. So part of it is, well, uh, the Gemara says, that you can't only live in the moment. You have to also appreciate there are consequences. There are ripples. And my father's a colonel of Baruch So one of his presentations in the, in the Haggadah, was that there are four sons and four different questions, and the Haggadah gives you in the Magad four distinct answers to the four questions in different ways. So without going into the length of it, so uh, the Tom, the answer to the Tom, the simple child, is the need, Seulamad, go learn history and learn causality. So it starts with what did Lavan want to do to Yaakov? And it says, because based on the Pasuk, it says, the Aramean, which Rashi learns is Lavan, he did whatever he did, and it caused Yaakov to go down to Egypt. Those two events were separated by decades, by four, almost four and a half decades, from when Yaakov went to Lavan and he switched to Rachel and Leah to when Yaakov went down to Egypt was 44 years. And yet the Agada says it's immediate cause and effect. Well, we like kicking the can down the road. We don't like realizing, you know, if I eat potato chips when I'm 20, I'm going to have heart disease when I'm 40. So we just eat the potato chips. On the other hand, you got to live in the moment. So Halacha comes to try to help us struggle with that and direct us. So, and my father-in-law, always said that uh, everything ultimately comes down to, comes back to a Pasuk in the Torah. So one of the the many ideas in the Torah is, there's a way you go and then individual actions on that way. So, if you get onto the highway, you have to be a high, you have to be facing the right direction because, it, or you have to know if you get onto the highway and 300 miles, the bridge is out. So you're already done. You're already sunk. It may not happen for 300 years. On the other hand, you get on the highway, you head towards Cleveland when you want to go to New York, you're you're immediately fablunged, even though you're only five minutes in. But if you get on the right way, okay, I'm going to New York. That's Haderachiel Chuba. Although, I don't know why anybody would go to New York, but that's a separate discussion. Could we bring it back to our situation here? Maybe start with the Gilad Shalit prisoner exchange and talk about the ramifications of negotiating with terrorists. And then what are the different consequences that we're looking at? And how, how do we ultimately decide what's right? So great minds think alike. That's exactly the point I was getting to. How do we decide whose lives are more important, the lives today lives in the future? Ah, that's a different question. You just asked a separate question. The first question you asked was, how do we deal with it today? The second question was this question of the value of life. And those are two very different questions. Because if you will argue the causality, which I understand there are two ways to argue, that the Gilad Shalit deal women raise their children in that society to be terrorists and underage so what is underage and why are they in jail they're 15 16 17 
there is a great possibility that they're going to continue to be indoctrinated. And as the leader of Hamas said, we're going to do this again and we're going to do this again. So are we simply letting out those who are going to come and kill other children? I don't know the answer, but Allah says you have to consider it. The second question you asked is the value of life. So on the one hand, every life is a world. Any Jewish life that we save is, is worthwhile in, in this context, Jewish hostages. And there are non-Jewish hostages too. But anyone we save is worthwhile. We can never get into a discussion of one life over another, except we do. Sometimes we're forced. What if heaven forbid you are, you are faced with an opportunity with two people and you can only save one of them. What do you do? Right? Halacha talks about that too. Or doctors, and again, I'm not a doctor. Your previous guest is an expert in this. But in a, in a mass, mass casualty, a mass trauma situation, there are tags of different colors that are put on the victims. And one of the tags is it's not worth trying to save this one because we can save others, whether it's the, the, you know, the, old, uh, uh, the old question of the, the train tracks and you can throw the switch. If you throw the switch one way, the guys on the train are saved. And if you throw it the other yeah. way, they're not saved, but the person who's, who's tied up on the tracks. The Ford Pinto case, those of you that are familiar with it, Halacha struggles with this, and there are, there are no good answers. The article that you made reference to that I posted, you know, one when you try to explain a very, very difficult situation that would take a week of full-time study to properly research, it's not always easy. So thank God to the magic of the internet, you have access to a number of different things. So I was looking for an article, a halachic article, that might give an overview to those who are not familiar over you to some situations. I found one. Um, I, I should give credit, but I, I don't want to take the time to find it. But it was from a few years ago. It was on the Haritzion website. I'm forgetting the name of the author, the rabbi that wrote it. And he was talking about in the 70s when there was a Palestinian uh, group that hijacked an airliner. Because, of course, Yasser Arafat, the PLO, that's their gift to the world. They started this. And one of the, the hostages was Rav Hutner, Rav Yitzchak Hutner, one of the G'dolei Ador. And in the discussion in the mission of who you save first when you have this impossible situation where you can only save one. So one of the value points that the Mishnah gives us is that a G'dol Ador, a G'dol in Torah, that in terms of value to the Jewish people, he's at the top. So the question was, ransom or don't ransom? And believe it or not, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky came out and said no. You can't because, again, without going through all of the sources, because it's, it's war and the calculus in war is different. The Gemara was talking about Pidion Shulian, just a kidnap situation. And Ramesha came out after a conversation with, with whatever Moet says he was, and Ramesha came out and said, no, that even now we have to do it because the value of the life is more important. So we look to halacha, and there is halachic discussion to try to figure out which of these values we should apply here, the value of any opportunity to get somebody out, great, or the, and you know, that person might be the next general or the next doctor that'll save the world on the next Talmud Chacham, or is it going to be setting us up that, okay, great, 
They, they've upped the ante over the last few years. Now they're going to try something even more spectacular. Hezbollah in the north. Maybe they'll try a raid and, and, and they'll try to, to capture instead of 240 people, maybe they'll try to capture 540 people. I don't know the answer. Part of the problem is I don't trust. Well, first of all, I don't trust the lying, murdering terrorist Hamas. You know, we have a saying here in Israel. There's going to be a ceasefire. We cease, they fire. If you live here in Israel tonight and between 10 a.m. and 10.05 tomorrow is when there will be the biggest barrage because that's the way it always goes. I don't trust these liars and these murderers and these butchers. And even after whatever happens, we're not going to have all of them back. And what about the bodies of our own and, and, and Adar that we still haven't gotten back since the last uh, fracas? On the other hand, full stop. Now, I don't want anybody to think I'm comparing politicians to terrorists, but I don't trust politicians either. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a rare exception that whether left, right, middle, I don't care. I don't trust the politicians. In sports, it's the difference between the coach and the, and the GM. The coach has to win this year to save his job. The GM has to win next year to save his job. So the politicians, I don't trust any of them. So they said no ceasefire, no ceasefire. Okay, we're having a ceasefire. After the ceasefire, we're starting again. Uh, yeah, right. And, and, and the boys and girls of the IDF should sit out in the field. It's not like they're going home for four days. They should sit out there while it's happening in the mud and the muck and still be targets. I, I don't know the answer. So Halacha tries to deal with it, and Halacha has dealt with this situation. But even within the struggle to get a Halachic answer, it's not so simple. There are some answers that are not so simple. So it's happening. Let's hope, let's pray to God that it indeed will be a step forward. Look, ultimately, God's calculus is different than ours. And it's interesting, not, uh, not everyone can be on the level of Rabbi Akiva or Nochum Gamzu, his Rebbe, that can literally see everything as positive. And that, I think, is why the rabbis, even though they directed us in halacha, they said you got to thank God for the good and for the bad. They made two different brachas. It's not the same bracha. One's shechianu or atog ametiv. One is dainaemis. Because we can't function that way. Uh, do you remember the show? It was a show on TV called Three Rivers. It lasted for like eight and a half seconds. It was set in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is a center starzel that, that really pushed the, the frontiers of transplantation. And it tried to show the two sides of the coin. When you daven, if you know someone that needs a transplant and you daven, they should receive a transplant. Let's be honest. You are davening that somebody should die. Now we're going to convince ourselves. That no, 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 I'm not davening they should die. I'm davening that, that if they die, the organs should be transplantable. Yeah, right. You're davening that someone should die. But the family properly, their only perspective is their loved one. And that's the only perspective they should have. But that's why they can't decide rules for transplantation because they don't have the broader perspective. When the massacre in Pittsburgh happened, so many of the families said, Shouldn't be the death penalty. The federal authorities said, you don't get to decide for society. We appreciate your, your opinion. We appreciate your pain, but, and we will consider it. 
But you don't get to decide for society because you're solely focused on your moment. We have to be focused on the fact that cops were shot and that society was attacked. So halacha tries to struggle with those things. And there is halachic source on it. Doesn't mean we have a good answer. So it's happening. We have to daven that, that we should quickly see that it's the path towards positivity. And, and quickly we should see that it's the path towards the continuation of eradicating this evil and not stopping until every member of Hamas and their supporters is wiped off the face of the earth. In what situation are we going to be in a week from now? And I know we're not, you can't tell the future, but... I'm not a Navi. You're not a Navi, but... I suspect, yeah. I suspect we're going to be in a situation that on the one hand, we will be buoyed by the release of hostages. And much like happened at Entebbe, because I daven every day that Sahal, even tonight, should find them and release them. But much like Entebbe, it was the couple of freed hostages that gave us the intelligence we needed to be able to plan the raid. Now, Hamas are not dopes. Unfortunately, they're not dopes. But you never know. So we'll be buoyed. We'll have a little respite. But on the other hand, we're still going to have almost 200 hostages. And by the way, everybody's saying Hamas. PIJ has 30 hostages, and they haven't said anything. So I don't know where we're, we're going to be. And one of the things in the many thoughts that I've had and again, I'm not an expert. I'm not a post-sick. I don't make the decisions. And I don't, forget, I, I, I don't begrudge any of the families of the hostages for their attitude or any, like I said, this interview that I saw. I don't begrudge anybody their opinion. But this is a story. I'm starting to cry even thinking about it. I think it's in Martin Gilbert's book called The Holocaust, where... One of these Nazi forerunners of Hamas, because Hamas they are the Nazis of today. So he, he gathered a bunch of children into the truck and started driving away. And a mother was running after the truck, screaming, no, my children, my children. And she had either two or three children that were taken. And the Nazi, may he burn in hell for all eternity, got out of the truck and opened up the back and said to the mother, choose one. And the mother crumpled on the floor crying and did not choose because then she'd be sending the other children to their graves thinking their mother didn't love them enough. So what about the nine-year-old that doesn't get taken? And you can be sure that Hamas is going to use the release of other hostages as psychological terror to the release the, the remaining hostages. Well, you said before, how come I'm not good enough? So... I hope where we'll be in, a, in four days or five days or whatever the number is, I hope we'll be in a place that we continue to be resolute to finish the mission. You know, this has been going on for so many years. And each time when, when we stopped, we meaning the IDF, there was an idea that, look, we have to deal with it. We'll deal with some missiles. We'll deal with whatever because we don't want to pay the price that it'll take to really get rid of them. Well, where we paid the price with interest. So hopefully the resolve will be there to continue the campaign unequivocally, to go underground, to go into the South, to get these guys and not stop till we're done. 
and I hope that our allies will be true to their word and continue to let us do it. The lives of our soldiers, like we, we're paying a very heavy price. And what's to say that their lives are less valuable? Because how long do we fight? There you and go. how many lives are we giving up? And it's just there so you go. devastating. And more than that, more, more than that, though, because the soldiers will tell you, I will stay here. That is my mission. These holy Jews, men and women, I will stay here on behalf of Am Yisrael. As long as it takes, but give me the opportunity to do it. Don't tie my hands and send me home in a month knowing that the job's not done and I'm not going to come back again. So you're right. It is a heavy price. But the, at least the soldiers, whether they were drafted or they volunteered, say, look, this is my job and this is what I need to do. So hopefully we'll get to a point that the price won't be as heavy. The difficulty is we're going to give them four days now to restock. We owe, we owe our You're right. everything You're to right. the soldiers. Maybe we should bring them all home and be done with it. I don't know. Let me ask you this. I don't know. So the reason I sparked the conversation, well, everyone else, <laughs> this conversation started yesterday. The, the value of three to one with Gilad Shalit, it was a thousand for one. It's just, how are we in a place where we have less leverage we should have more leverage than them because they're about to be completely destroyed no because their goal is to be martyred don't you understand 9-11 the one of the reasons 9-11 happened aside from all the breakdowns in security and being asleep and fat and lazy is because it changed the calculus on hijacking every pilot was trained just listen to them and get the plane on the ground. The, the one who perhaps was the first casualty of 9-11, his name is escaping me, but he's a former soldier. And uh, I think a member of the Israeli security, he recognized it immediately. And that's why he tried to fight back. And that's why the guys on 93 realized we have to fight no matter what. But a thousand to one, a million to one. One Jewish life is worth a million of those those animals. Except those animals if are can be sure are killing us. We're creating right. If we can be sure, that's not going to enable them to kill us. So if the security forces will get up and say, "We're done. We let a thousand of them out. We have their names. We're going to kill them." Oh, I, I'm good. I'm good. But. I was mollet, let's put it this way. I, I told you I don't trust politicians, any politicians. But I was mollified a little bit. I saw a report earlier this afternoon that the heads of the security services of the IDF and the Shabak, etc., all got up, although their word is let, worth a little less after being asleep, and said from a security perspective, we don't want to go into the details, but this will put us in a better position. Okay, I have no choice but to accept that and say somehow we'll be in a... And it's a thousand less people we don't have our in a, on our heads in jail. So, again, I, I have to take their word for it that somehow that it's, it's at least neutral. <clears throat> and again, the national spirit that will be buoyed 
over the next few days by the release of hostages. I have to believe that will give us the resolve to continue because don't forget, not only is it war, but most of the 1,400 funerals haven't happened yet. And we can't deal with that right now because there's a war. So, nope, if at least we can have a moment of national jubilation that there are some people that have been freed, perhaps that will give us the resolve to do what we have to do. And then, you know, the one to three, fine. We'll deal with you guys because we're done. We're done thinking that uh, we can let you still be and still exist with you in the world. Uh, do we have anything else we need to cover here that you wanted to bring up or I should be bringing up? <laughs> you know what? In, in, in the lead up to this conversation, I was, I was playing it out in my mind. And I ended up going to so many different places that I figured this will be a multi-hour conversation, which is, of course, well beyond the scope of uh, of the podcast. But I, I think I think that it's important at any juncture, even as we're discussing this, to remind ourselves that we must remain resolute. I made a comment in another family chat from my side of the family that one of my relatives took umbrage to and and i basically responded you know get over yourself i'm a lot more worried about the physical and spiritual safety of jews in america than i am about me or my family here in eretz yisrael we must continue to be resolute both in terms of uh, primary our trust in god our davening, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that say, oh, we're going to get together for Tehillim and Chalabakes and all that. And those are all great. They're wonderful. But there's step two. If at a time of trouble, we're not all in shul and on a weekday, the minion isn't as big as on Shabbos. Or if in times of trouble, we're davening, I will never tell anyone you're davening too fast or too slow. Who am I to say that you are speaking to God is too fast or too slow? But my question is, are you davening as fast as you were six weeks ago? Because if you are, you're missing things. The, the sitter has the words for us to reach out and connect to God in God's house, with a minion, with the public. And we need to be resolute in that first and foremost, that God runs the show and that Jewish life is based on having to deal with the moment, but having a perspective that is well beyond the moment. And somehow this will be good somehow this is part of our job to fight evil and establish, uh, continue to establish Eretz Yisrael in the state of Israel. Last night, I mentioned, I, I, I played hockey in Yerushalayim last night. So after the game, I went, I was hungry. I went and I, uh, it was in Gan Sacher, those of you who know Yerushalayim. So I drove over and parked equidistant between Ben Yehuda and Machne Yehuda and was trying to find some food. So I went onto Facebook Live because any opportunity for Jews in America to see the holy stones of Yerushalayim. And I have to remember that, that I, I focused on all of the cranes and the building projects. We build, they destroy, we build. And we have to keep building. We have to keep putting our trust in Hashem and we have to keep dominating and we have to keep with the political activism and we have to keep getting the word out. Honestly, 
not even for the non-Jewish world. Those, the anti-Semites in the world, they don't care. They're not going to believe anything. To quote Dr. Phil in his speech, whose line was so straight on, people who spent the last years convincing us that words are violence, but will take actual horrific violence and say that's social justice, they are either, don't confuse me with the facts my mind's made up, or so completely ignorant that they can't deal with a, a complicated thought, or so twisted that they simply can't see straight. I'm concerned with the Jewish people, that the Jewish people should know the rightness of our cause, should understand the historical and, and destiny perspective and element of our cause and that it's time to get out while the good getting is good that we have to realize a jew's home a jew's places in eretz israel so initially come and visit yeshiva weeks coming up elal's still flying come come and then everyone's got to have an aliyah plan i'm not going to tell you how many years that plan should be but Everyone's got to come home because this genie of anti-Semitism that's been pent up has been let out of the bottle, and it's not going back in. It is not. And there is no model in the history where it didn't explode, and America is exploding for the Jew. So let's keep our minds focused on the events at hand, but the day after. And the day after is the continuation of Eretz Yisrael, the great miracle of Eretz Yisrael being here. And, uh, you know, if we, after 120 wonderful years, if we get up to heaven and we meet Moshe Rabbeinu or Rabbi Yudah Levi or the Gon of Vilna or the great men and women who wanted to make Aliyah and couldn't, and they're going to say, why didn't you come to Israel? Uh, we're not going to have an answer if we don't actually do it. So don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be resolute. Even in the face of questions that don't have an answer. Just keep going. And keep davening and, and keep the spirits up. And somehow it'll be good. Oh, thank you. I'm just curious what the other aspects of the conversation of the multi-hour podcast you were referring to. Well, again, going I, further I know we into all of covered these surface. issues. No, no, going into the halakhic issues, going into the cause and effect question that you asked, value of life. Again, we live in this little Pollyanna world that we don't make these life value decisions. We do it all the time. On the other hand, in the moment, each life is worth, you know, we could, we could spend hours struggling through that. Did the Shalit deal lead to this? Or was it our own fault for being fat, lazy, and arrogant? Allah the Yom Kippur War. What should our is it time to finally I, I have a political a particular political perspective just as everybody else does is it time to finally stop with the lie of this two-state solution there is no I, I just posted from a from a muslim the the i think his words were the palestinian authority couldn't run a boy scout troop let alone a state george bush got up and said we're going to have a, an answer in 2 years America is still trying to figure it out. And certainly before it was founded, the Cominger, there was, there was teaching. How do you do this? So these guys are going to suddenly figure it out enough. How about give me two generations where you teach peace and not hate, then come back 
And until then, we're not going to give lip service to this fallacy, which if there is still anyone who doesn't get it, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy in hindsight. Oslo was a mistake. The, the, the expulsion of Jews from, from Gaza was a mistake. Letting Hamas over the last 15 years build the network of tunnels, which is like the New York subway system, is, was a mistake. You know, funding UNRWA is a mistake. When are we going to have the fortitude, the wisdom to say enough already? So that's a whole nother conversation is, is the answer giving them some ability or is the answer telling them, forget it. We're going to wall you off. I remember an article, I think in Time magazine that, uh, after the wall, the security fence was built where it tried to paint the Israelis, even in Tel Aviv as uncaring because they said, look, we can't deal with this. You're going to keep blowing up restaurants. We're building a wall. You stay there. We're going to the beach. What else do you want from us? No, they're uncaring. They're creating a jail. When are we going to stop giving lip service to this narishkeit? That, that somehow there is a, forget the, the fact that it's a historical fantasy, this, this so-called Palestinians. But even if you'll argue they have to, they have some connection to the land, they have some rights, fine. But there is no governmental structure there that can run a country or a state. And all that will happen, and we're seeing it in spades. Begin said it years ago. Bennett said it just a few weeks ago. Every time we give them territory, we get missiles. So we should give them more territory. So that's a whole nother area of discussion. And what about us finally learning the lesson? It's enabling. Yeah. But, or it's just us being stupid, shooting ourselves in the head. When are we going to finally, when is it going to be finally that we're going to take Chazal seriously? And stop making that a war brings us together. Right? There's such unity here where there wasn't before. What are we going to do the day after? Are we going to learn that lesson? That not everything is going to... Look, again, halacha. I, I, I teach all the time. Every mitzvah has a value point, but it is specific performance. Yes, you have to do every halacha to the best of your ability and every mitzvah. But even the Gemara says that relative to the moment, there are mitzvahs kalos, mitzvahs chamers, there are more severe ones, there are less severe ones. Not every issue is going to cause the republic to fall. And so, you know, let's take Chazal seriously. That on the one hand, you cannot be Messiah, you cannot enable, you said enable, you can't enable things to be done that are against the Torah, against Halacha. On the other hand, if we'll be together, there are Gemaras that say this, Midrashim that say this. Magain Avraham, if we'll be together, it'll be good. If we just find a way to love each other and to work with each other. So uh, let me put that into very, very practical terms because I lived this as a rabbi in America. There are some who, as a protection, they won't eat in anybody's house, uh, you know, the rabbi's children, whatever, whatever. Uh, I'm from, you're not, I can't eat in your house. And there are some who will even champion that idea my attitude was i'm gonna find a way to eat in your house now may not be possible because nice good fine jews who say we keep kosher may not have any idea what kosher is and you can't not eat kosher but i'm gonna struggle to find a way 
Are we going to continue to find a way to come together, to find a way to have common ground? And oh, by the way, one of those ways is learning that we can argue and it's not, doesn't mean I hate you. Not don't argue. Argue all you want. But it doesn't mean I hate you. Doesn't mean I'm going to use rhetoric that's, that's, that's extreme. It's okay. I'm going to tell you I don't agree with you. And you're not going to give me this, well, I'm offended. As I said before, get over yourself. And not everybody has to be made room for every monument. On the other hand, everybody has to try to make room for everybody every moment. Let's learn how to argue. There is, as I always like to say, there's no glory in agreeing. Let's learn how to argue. Let's even learn how to fight. Because that ultimately is, that's one of the slogans here. Together, we're going to win. And we are. We are. But. How many times are we going to waste this opportunity when all the Jewish people are on the same page? And then when it's over, we'll go back to thinking we have the luxury of being on each other's case. That's, that's a whole other area. And, and by the way, it's different in Israel than in America. It has not coalesced as well in America as it does here because one of the many reasons here... Uh, Israel's like one big shul, right? Everybody knows everybody, and everybody has a relationship with everybody. And there's a lot that gets done on the ground roots level, grassroots level. In America, unfortunately, it's still organizations and structures. And uh, talk to me for five minutes. You know, I have a very jaundiced attitude, the same jaundiced attitude I have to politicians, I have towards organizations. Because they're, they're just... Ultimately, the test is, are you out for yourself or somebody else? On the Francisca show, it always says, go to another podcast because you'll enjoy it. In my shul, I can tell you that we announce things going on in every other shul. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. Not everybody, I, I have yet to see, I'll leave the names of the organizations out, although I would love to take pot shots at these organizations, orthodox and non-orthodox. I have not seen in any of their publication. Oh, by the way, Organization X is also doing a very good job. I remember when the, the, the great crisis hit the United States a few years ago, that one of the big bread producers, it was called uh, um, Bimbo. Bimbo Breads owns a lot of labels in the United States. And they decided that that they were going to go, the bread's going to be milchik, which as a matter of halacha is, is, is not acceptable. You can't put a hechsher on that. And as a matter of practice, a hamburger bun that's milchik doesn't do anything for me. So all the kashras agencies got together and there was a big tadadam and they solved the problem. Every single one of them sent out a, a briefing about how they were involved in solving the problem. You know what? In America, it's time to be a little more grassroots and everybody to work together. Don't have to agree to work together. I don't even have to like you to work together. You know, there's a mitzvah in the Torah. Again, halacha governs. There's a mitzvah in the Torah. In one place, the Torah says, if you see the donkey of your friend, go help him. If you broken down under his pack. If you see the donkey of your enemy, go down. So how come it says both? So the Gemara says, because so you should know. If we were writing the Torah, it would be, I see the donkey, my enemy. I'm not getting involved. Because after I help him, he's still going to be my enemy. I took a self-defense class last night. And the rule is, 
you want to get away or actually at my gun class, it's like, if you see something, you go away, call 911. Don't get involved. It's the opposite right. of. Yes. Yeah, so so if it's your things. enemy, so the Gemara says, what happens if you have your enemy and your friend, same situation? Who do you help first? The Gemara says, help your enemy, get over yourself. The mitzvahs are not for you to decide whether you like them or not. So that's another area. And what you just brought up, I posted on Facebook the other day. I hear all of these stories about Jews getting beaten up. I don't hear many stories about Jews fighting back in the moment. My father, Zechernel of Racha, he'd said publicly many times that he will not let his children graduate high school. So this is the 70s. Graduate high school unless each one of them has some martial arts training, some degree in martial arts. Well, I think firearms is the same. The two, have, one has nothing to do with the other. They're not mutually exclusive. Why aren't American Jews like you in a self, a serious self-defense class and in firearms training. That's another area we have to talk about dealing. If you're going to stay in America, dealing with the anti-Semitism. And if we're going to advocate for guns, it does open up the question of mass shootings and gun control and all of that. So all of this started, you asked me what were some of the other areas my brain went to. These are some of them that it went to and each one of them, we could go down the rabbit hole and there would be a great conversation. Yeah, I definitely have seen a lifestyle shift in what my activities of the days are, even though I'm not in the line of fire. But yes, you are. Everything I'm doing is revolved around the war. I am in the line of fire. Don't, don't convince yourself you're not in the line of fire, even in Balakinwit. Don't convince yourself because that's that's when bad stuff happens. On the other hand, I feel like it. But I don't get to say it because I'm not in Gaza and I'm not, you know, in Ashdod. Yeah, you or do Ashdod. get to say it. You do get to say it. There's a, look, I get to say it. The 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 yard site of the of the Pittsburgh massacre happened. It's the 18th of Cheshvan, so it happened in the middle of the war. And I was thinking before Simchas Torah, oh, the yard site's coming up. I want to do something. The shul I go to, I want to do something. And then it came closer, and I said, how can I talk to them about? 11 people who were murdered in Pittsburgh when they're dealing with numbers like 1,400. And I thought about it. And I said, you know, there's a Gemara in Brachos where Rabbi Yochanan says he used to carry around the bone of his the 10th child he buried. And when he saw somebody who was in pain and it was sad, he would show it to them and say, this is the bone of my 10th child. And for a long time, I, I did not know how to deal with that Gemara. Because it sounded like it was saying, hey, my pain's worse than yours, and, and therefore you have no right to be in pain. But that doesn't make sense. And then after a lot of davening, God did me a favor. He sent me an understanding that at least at this point in my life, I can deal with. Rabbi Yochanan was saying the exact opposite. I validate your pain on the level of mine. Now I can help you bear it. Now I can be there for you. So, no, your fear, and by the way, you shouldn't walk around thinking there are boogeymen around every corner either. But your fear, you get to express, even though people, in you know, mom, just because I eat my vegetables, they'll still be starving people in Africa. You get to express it. It's got to be measured. It's got to be in the right context. But, yeah, you get to express it. it's like you know, one of my sons just came back from uh, 
Moshe just came back from America. So they lost his bag. He, he, he had 51 bags officially on his record because they were sending 50 bags. And for security reasons, somebody with an American passport has to be the official one on the record. So in El Ali had 51 bags. The only bag that didn't make it was his personal bag. So in it was stuff yes. for different people. And one of one of the guys in the yeshiva where he's a madrich was nudging him every day. For it was nothing; it was worth a dollar, right? Was nudging him every day that that uh, you know did he come yet? Did he come yet? Meanwhile, Moshe's got uh, hundreds of dollars worth of stuff of his own. So you got to keep it in perspective. But no, you get to express your fear just because there are others in pain. That doesn't mean you don't get to express it. And together, together we'll get there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you saying yes on such short notice. Well, thank you for having me. I just want to give a yeshikai on your podcast. Thank you. A- aside from everything else. Thank you. It's so one much. of the few that you actually let people talk and it's not about you. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.